Chapter 13, Section 5 of The Promise of American Life by Herbert Crawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by The Progressing America Project. Chapter 13, Section 5 Constructive Individualism. The preceding section was concluded with a statement which the majority of its readers will find extremely questionable and which assuredly demands some further explanation suppose it to be admitted that individual americans do seek the increase of their individuality by competent and disinterested special work in what way will such work and the sort of individuality thereby developed exercise a decisive influence on behalf of social amelioration we have already expressly denied that a desire to succor their fellow countrymen or an ideal of social reorganization is at the present time a necessary ingredient in the make-up of these formative individuals their individual excellence has been defined exclusively in terms of high but special technical competence and the manner in which these varied and frequently antagonistic individual performers are to cooperate towards socially constructive results must still remain a little hazy how are these eminent specialists each of whom is admittedly pursuing unscrupulously his own special purpose to be made serviceable in a coherent national democratic organization how indeed are these specialists to get at the public whom they are supposed to lead many very competent contemporary americans might claim that the real difficulty in relation to the social influence of the expert specialist has been sedulously evaded the admirably competent individual cannot exercise any constructive social influence unless he becomes popular and the current american standards being what they are how can an individual become popular without more or less insidious and baleful compromises the gulf between individual excellence and effective popular influence still remains to be bridged and until it is bridged an essential stage is lacking in the transition from an individually formative result to one that is also socially formative undoubtedly a gulf does exist in the country between individual excellence and effective popular influence many excellent specialists exercise a very small amount of influence and many individuals who exercise apparently a great deal of influence are conspicuously lacking in any kind of excellence the responsibility for this condition is usually fastened upon the philistine american public which refuses to recognize genuine eminence and which showers rewards upon any second-rate performer who tickles its tastes and prejudices but it is at least worth inquiring whether the responsibility should not be fastened not upon the followers but upon the supposed leaders the american people are what the circumstances the traditional leadership and the interests of american life have made them they cannot be expected to be any better than they are until they have been sufficiently shown the way and they cannot be blamed for being as bad as they are until it is proved that they have deliberately rejected better leadership no such proof has ever been offered some disgruntled americans talk as if in a democracy the path of the aspiring individual should be made peculiarly safe and easy as soon as any young man appears whose ideals are perched a little higher than those of his neighbors and who has acquired some knack of performance he should apparently be immediately taken at his own valuation and loaded with rewards and opportunities the public should take off its hat and ask him humbly to step into the limelight and show himself off for the popular edification 
he should not be obliged to make himself interesting to the public. They should immediately make themselves interested in him, and bolt whatever he chooses to offer them as the very meat and wine of the mind. But surely one does not need to urge very emphatically that popularity won upon such easy terms would be demoralizing to any but very highly gifted and very cool-headed men. The American people are absolutely right in insisting that an aspirant for popular eminence shall be compelled to make himself interesting to them, and shall not be welcomed as a fountain of excellence and enlightenment until he has found some means of forcing his meat and his wine down their reluctant throats. And if the aspiring individual accepts this condition, as tantamount to an order that he must haul down the flag of his own individual purpose, in order to obtain popular appreciation and reward, it is he who is unworthy to lead, not they who are unworthy of being led. The problem and business of his life is precisely that of keeping his flag flying, at any personal cost or sacrifice, and if his own particular purpose demands that his flying flag shall be loyally saluted, it is his own business also to see that his flag is well worthy of a popular salutation. In occasional instances these two aspects of a special performer's business may prove to be incompatible. Every real adventure must be attended by risks. Every real battle involves a certain number of casualties. But better the risk and the wounded and the dead than sham battles and unearned victories. There is only one way in which popular standards and preferences can be improved. The men whose standards are higher must learn to express their better message in a popularly interesting manner. The people will never be converted to the appreciation of excellent special performances by argumentation, reproaches, lectures, associations, or persuasion. They will rally to the good thing only because the good thing has been made to look good to them, and so far as individual Americans are not capable of making their good things look good to a sufficient number of their fellow countrymen, they will on the whole deserve any neglect from which they may suffer. They themselves constitute the only efficient source of really formative education. In so far as a public is lacking, a public must be created. They must mold their followers after their own likeness, as all aspirants after the higher individual eminence have always been obliged to do. The manner in which the result is to be brought about may be traced by considering the case of the contemporary American architect, a case which is typical because, while popular architectural preferences are inferior, the very existence of the architect depends upon his ability to please a considerable number of clients. The average well-trained architect in good standing meets this situation by designing as well as he can, consistent with the building up an abundant and lucrative practice. There are doubtless certain things which he would not do even to get or keep a job, but on the whole it is not unfair to say that his first object is to get and to keep the job, and his second to do good work. The consequence is that, in compromising the integrity of his work, he necessarily builds his own practice upon a shifting foundation. His work belongs to the well-populated class of the good enough. It can have little distinctive excellence, and it cannot, by its peculiar force and quality, attract a clientele. Presumably, it has the merit of satisfying prevailing tastes, but the architect, who is designing only as well as popular tastes will permit, suffers under one serious disadvantage. 
there are hundreds of his associates who can do it just as well and he is necessarily obliged to face demoralizing competition inasmuch as it is not his work itself that counts he is obliged to build up his clientele by other means he is obliged to make himself personally popular to seek social influence and private polls and his whole life becomes that of a man who is selling his personality instead of fulfilling it his relations with his clients suffer from the same general condition they have come to him not because they are particularly attracted by his work and believe in it but as a rule because of some accidental and arbitrary reason his position consequently is lacking in independence and authority he has not enough personal prestige as a designer to insist upon having his own way in all essential matters he tends to become too much of an agent employed for the purpose of carrying out another man's wishes instead of a professional expert whose employer trusts his judgment and leans loyally on his advice take on the other hand the case of the exceptional architect who insists upon doing his very best assuming sufficient ability and training the work of the man who does his very best is much more likely to possess some quality of individual merit which more or less sharply distinguishes it from that of other architects he has a monopoly of his own peculiar qualities such merit may not be noticed by many people but it will probably be noticed by a few the few who are attracted will receive a more than usually vivid impression they will talk and begin to create a little current of public opinion favorable to the designer the new clients who come to him will be influenced either by their appreciation of the actual merit of the work or by this approving body of opinion they will come that is because they want him and believe in his work his own personal position consequently becomes much more independent and authoritative than is usually the case he is much less likely to be embarrassed by ignorant and irrelevant interference he can continue to turn out designs genuinely expressive of his own individual purpose if he be an intelligent as well as a sincere and gifted designer his work will up to a certain point grow in distinction and individuality and as good or better examples of it become more numerous it will attract and hold an increasing body of approving opinion the designer will in this way have gradually created his own special public he will be molding and informing the architectural taste and preference of his admirers without in any way compromising his own standards he will have brought himself into a constructive relation with a part at least of the public and the effect of his work will soon extend beyond the sphere of his own personal clientele in so far as he has succeeded in popularizing a better quality of architectural work he would be by way of strengthening the hands of all his associates who were standing for similar ideals and methods it would be absurd to claim that every excellent and competent special performer who sticks incorruptibly to his individual purpose and standard can succeed in creating a special public molded somewhat by his personal influence the ability to succeed is not given to everybody it cannot always be obtained by sincere industry and able and single-minded work the qualities needed in addition to those mentioned will vary in different occupations and according to the accidental circumstances of different cases but they are not always the qualities which a man can acquire men will fail who have deserved to succeed 
and who might have succeeded with a little more tenacity or under slightly more favorable conditions men who have deserved to fail will succeed because of certain collateral but partly irrelevant merits just as an architect may succeed who is ingenious about making his clients houses comfortable and building them cheap in a thousand different ways an individual enterprise conceived and conducted with faith and ability may prove to be abortive moreover the sacrifices necessary to success are usually genuine sacrifices the architect who wishes to build up a really loyal following by really good work must deliberately reject many possible jobs and he must frequently spend upon the accepted jobs more money than is profitable but the foregoing is merely tantamount to saying as we have said that the adventure involves a real risk a resolute intelligent man undertakes a doubtful and difficult enterprise not because it is sure to succeed but because if it succeeds it is worth the risk and the cost and such is the case with the contemporary american adventurer the individual independence appreciation and fulfillment which he secures in the event of success are assuredly worth a harder and a more dangerous fight than the one by which frequently he is confronted in any particular case a man as we have admitted may put up a good fight without securing the fruits of victory and his adventure may end not merely in defeat but in self-humiliation but if any general tendency exists to shirk or to back down or to place the responsibility for personal ineptitude on the public it means not that the fight was hopeless but that the warriors were lacking in the necessary will and ability the case of the statesman the man of letters the philanthropist or the reformer does not differ essentially from that of the architect they may need for their particular purposes a larger or a smaller popular following a larger or smaller amount of moral courage and a more or less peculiar kind of intellectual efficiency but wherever there is any bridge to be built between their own purposes and standards and those of the public they must depend chiefly upon their own resources for its construction the best that society can do to assist them at present is to establish good schools of preliminary instruction for the rest it is the particular business of the exceptional individual to impose himself on the public and the necessity he is under of creating his own following may prove to be helpful to him as his own exceptional achievements are to his followers the fact that he is obliged to make a public instead of finding one ready-made or instead of being able by the subsidy of a prince to dispense with one this necessity will in the long run tend to keep his work vital and human the danger which every peculiarly able individual specialist runs is that of overestimating the value of his own purpose and achievements and so of establishing a false and delusive relation between his own world and the larger world of human affairs and interests such a danger cannot be properly checked by the conscious moral and intellectual education of the individual because when he is filled too full of amiable intentions and ideas he is by way of attenuating his individual impulse and power but the individual who is forced to create his own public is forced also to make his own special work attractive to the public and when he succeeds in accomplishing this result without hauling down his personal flag his work tends to take on a more normal and human character it tends that is to be socially as well as individually formative the peculiarly competent individual is obliged to accept the responsibilities of leadership 
with its privileges and fruits. There is no escape from the circle by which he finds himself surrounded. He cannot obtain the opportunities, the authority, and the independence which he needs for his own individual fulfillment, unless he builds up a following. And he cannot build up a secure personal following without making his peculiar performances appeal to some general human interest. The larger and more general the interest he can arouse, the more secure and the more remunerative his personal independence becomes. It by no means necessarily follows that he will increase his following by increasing the excellence of his work, or that he will not frequently find it difficult to keep his following without allowing his work to deteriorate. No formula, reconciling the individual and the popular interest, can be devised which will work automatically. The reconciliation must always remain a matter of victorious individual or national contrivance. But it is nonetheless true that the chance of fruitful reconciliation always exists, and in a democracy it should exist under peculiarly wholesome conditions. The essential nature of a democracy compels it to insist that individual power of all kinds, political, economic, or intellectual, shall not be perversely and irresponsibly exercised. The individual Democrat is obliged no less to insist in his own interest that the responsible exercise of power shall not be considered equivalent to individual mediocrity and dependence. These two demands will often conflict, but the vitality of a democracy hangs upon its ability to keep both of them vigorous and assertive. Just in so far as individual Democrats find ways of asserting their independence in the very act of redeeming their responsibility, the social body of which they form a part is marching toward the goal of human betterment. It cannot be claimed, however, that the foregoing account of the relation between the individual and a nationalized democracy is even yet entirely satisfactory. No relation can be satisfactory which implies such a vast amount of individual suffering and defeat, and such a huge waste of social and individual effort. The relation is only as satisfactory as it can be made under the circumstances. The individual cannot be immediately transformed by individual purpose and action into a consummate social type, any more than society can be immediately transformed by purposive national action into a consummate residence for the individual. In both cases amelioration is a matter of intelligent experimental contrivance, based upon the nature of immediate conditions, and equipped with every available resource and weapon. In both cases these experiments must be indefinitely continued, their lessons candidly learned, and the succeeding experiments based upon past failures and achievements. Throughout the whole task of experimental educational advance, the different purposes of individual and social amelioration will be partly opposed, partly supplementary, and partly parallel. But in so far as any genuine advance is made, the opposition should be less costly, and cooperation, if not easier, at least more remunerative. The peculiar kind of individual self-assertion, which has been outlined in the foregoing sections of this chapter has been adapted, not to perfect but to actual moral, social, and intellectual conditions. For the present, Americans must cultivate competent individual independence somewhat unscrupulously, because their peculiar democratic tradition has hitherto discouraged and undervalued a genuinely individualistic practice and ideal. In order to restore the balance, 
the individual must emancipate himself at a considerable sacrifice and by somewhat forcible means and to a certain extent he must continue those sacrifices throughout the whole of his career he must proclaim and if able he must assert his own leadership but he must be always somewhat on his guard against his followers he must always keep in mind that the very leadership which is the fruit of his mastery and the condition of his independence is also considering the nature and disposition of his average follower a dangerous temptation and while he must not for that reason scorn popular success he must always conscientiously reckon its actual cost and just because a leader cannot wholly trust himself to his following so the followers must always keep a sharp lookout lest their leaders be leading them astray for the kind of leadership which we have postulated above is by its very definition and nature liable to become perverse and distracting but just in so far as the work of social and individual amelioration advances the condition will be gradually created necessary to completer mutual confidence between the few exceptional leaders and the many plain people at present the burden of establishing any genuine means of communication rests very heavily upon the exceptionally able individual but after a number of exceptionally able individuals have imposed their own purposes and standards and created a following they will have made the task of their successors easier higher technical standards and more adequate forms of expression will have become better established the public will have learned to expect and to appreciate more simple and appropriate architectural forms more sincere and better formed translations of life in books and on the stage and more independent and better equipped political leadership the public that is instead of being as much satisfied as it is at present with cheap forms and standards will be prepared to assume part of the expense of establishing better forms and methods of social intercourse in this way a future generation of leaders may be enabled to conquer a following with a smaller individual expenditure of painful sacrifices and wasted effort they can take for granted a generally higher technical and formal tradition and they themselves will be freed from an overconscious preoccupation with the methods and the mechanism of their work their attention will naturally be more than ever concentrated on the proper discrimination of their subject matter and just in so far as they are competent to create an impression or a following that impression should be more profound and the following more loyal and more worthy of loyalty above all a substantial improvement in the purposes and standards of individual self-expression should create a more bracing intellectual atmosphere better standards will serve not only as guides but as weapons in so far as they are embodied in competent performances they are bound also to be applied in the critical condemnation of inferior work and the critic himself will assume a much more important practical job than he now has criticism is a comparatively neglected art among americans because a sufficient number of people do not care whether and when the current practices are really good or bad the practice of better standards and their appreciation will give the critic both a more substantial material for his work and a larger public it will be his duty to make the american public conscious of the extent of the individual successes or failures and the reasons therefor and in case his practice improves with that of the other arts he should become a more important performer not only because of his better opportunities and public but because of his increase of individual prowess
he should not only be better equipped for the performance of his work and the creation of a public following but he should have a more definite and resolute conviction of the importance of his own job it is the business of the competent individual as a type to force society to recognize the meaning and the power of his own special purposes it is the special business of the critic to make an even larger portion of the public conscious of these expressions of individual purpose of their relations one to another of their limitations and of their promises he not only popularizes and explains for the benefit of a larger public the substance and significance of admirable special performance but he should in a sense become the standard-bearer of the whole movement the function of the critic hereafter will consist in part of carrying on an incessant and relentless warfare on the prevailing american intellectual insincerity he can make little headway unless he is sustained by a large volume of less expressly controversial individual intellectual self-expression but on the other hand there are many serious objections to any advancing intellectual movement which he should and must overthrow in so doing he has every reason to be more unscrupulous and aggressive even than his brethren in arms he must stab away at the gelatinous mass of popular indifference sentimentality and complacency even though he seems quite unable to penetrate to the quick and draw blood for the time the possibility of immediate constructive achievement in his own special field is comparatively small and he is less responsible for the production of any substantial effect or the building up of any following except a handful of freelances like himself he need only assure himself of his own competence with his own peculiar tools his own good-humoured sincerity and his disinterestedness in the pursuit of his legitimate purposes in order to feel fully justified in pushing his strokes home in all serious warfare people have to be really wounded for some good purpose and in this particular fight there may be some chance that not only a good cause but the very victim of the blow may possibly be benefited by its delivery the stabbing of a mass of public opinion into some consciousness of its active torpor particularly when many particles of the mass are actively torpid because of admirable patriotic intentions that is the job which needs sharp weapons intense personal devotion and a positive indifference to consequences yet if the american national promise is ever to be fulfilled a more congenial and a more interesting task will also await the critic meaning by the word critic the voice of the specific intellectual interest the lover of wisdom the seeker of the truth every important human enterprise has its meaning even though the conduct of the affair demands more than anything else a hard and indistinguishable faith such a faith will imply a creed and its realizations will go astray unless the faithful are made conscious of the meaning of their performances or failures the most essential and edifying business of the critic will always consist in building up a pile of better thoughts based for the most part upon the truth resident in the lives of their predecessors and contemporaries but not without its outlook toward an immediate and even remote future there can be nothing final about the creed unless there be something final about the action and purposes of which it is the expression it must be constantly modified in order to define new experiences and renewed in order to meet unforeseen emergencies but it should grow just in so far as the enterprise itself makes new conquests and unfolds new aspects of truth democracy is an enterprise of this kind 
it may prove to be the most important moral and social enterprise as yet undertaken by mankind but it is still a very young enterprise whose meaning and promise is by no means clearly understood it is continually meeting unforeseen emergencies and gathering an increasing experience the fundamental duty of a critic in a democracy is to see that the results of these experiences are not misinterpreted and that the best interpretation is embodied in popular doctrinal form the critic consequently is not so much the guide as the lantern which illuminates the path he may not pretend to know the only way or all the ways but he should know as much as can be known about the travelled road men endowed with high moral gifts and capable of exceptional moral achievements have also their special part to play in the building of an enduring democratic structure in the account which has been given of the means and conditions of democratic fulfillment the importance of this part has been underestimated but the underestimate has been deliberate it is very easy and in a sense perfectly true to declare that democracy needs for its fulfillment a peculiarly high standard of moral behavior and it is even more true to declare that a democratic scheme of moral values reaches its consummate expression in the religion of human brotherhood such a religion can be realized only through the loving kindness which individuals feel towards their fellow men and particularly towards their fellow countrymen and it is through such feelings that the network of mutual loyalties and responsibilities woven in a democratic nation become radiant and expansive whenever an individual democrat like abraham lincoln emerges who succeeds in offering an example of specific efficiency united with supreme kindness specific efficiency united with supreme kindliness of feeling he qualifies as a national hero of consummate value but at present a profound sense of human brotherhood is no substitute for specific efficiency the men most possessed by intense brotherly feelings usually fall into an error as tolstoy has done as to the way in which those feelings can be realized consummate faith itself is no substitute for good work back of any work of moral conversion must come a long and slow process of social reorganization and individual emancipation and not until the reorganization has been partly accomplished and the individual realized disciplined and purified will the soil be prepared for the crowning work of some democratic saint francis hence in the foregoing account of a possible democratic fulfillment attention has been concentrated on that indispensable phase of the work which can be attained by conscious means until this work is measurably accomplished no evangelist can do more than convert a few men for a few years but it has been admitted throughout that the task of individual and social regeneration must remain incomplete and impoverished until the conviction and the feeling of human brotherhood enters into possession of the human spirit the laborious work of individual and social fulfillment may eventually be transfigured by an outburst of enthusiasm one which is not the expression of a mood but which is substantially the finer flower of an achieved experience and a living tradition if such a moment ever arrives it will be partly the creation of some democratic evangelist some imitator of jesus who will reveal to men the path whereby they may enter into spiritual possession of their individual and social achievements and immeasurably increase them by virtue of personal regeneration be it understood however 
that no prophecy of any such consummate moment has been made. Something of the kind may happen, in case the American or any other democracy seeks patiently and intelligently to make good a complete and a coherent democratic ideal. For better or worse, democracy cannot be disentangled from the aspiration toward human perfectibility, and hence from the adoption of measures looking in the direction of realizing such an aspiration. It may be that the attempt will not be seriously made, or that, if it is, nothing will come of it. Mr. George Santayana concludes a chapter on democracy, in his Reason in Society, with the following words, quote, For such excellence to grow, general mankind must be notably transformed. If a notable and civilized democracy is to subsist, the common citizen must be something of a saint and something of a hero. We see, therefore, how justly flattering and profound, and at the same time how ominous, was Montesquieu saying that the principle of democracy is virtue. End quote. The principle of democracy is virtue, and when we consider the condition of temporary democracies, the saying may seem to be more ominous than flattering. But if a few hundred years from now it seems less ominous, the threat will be removed in only one way. The common citizen can become something of a saint and something of a hero, not by growing to heroic proportions in his own person, but by the sincere and enthusiastic imitation of heroes and saints. And whether or not he will ever come to such an imitation, will depend upon the ability of his exceptional fellow countrymen to offer him acceptable examples of heroism and saintliness. End of chapter 13 End of The Promise of American Life by Herbert Crawley